Welcome to Two Bald Pastors, a podcast about real faith and real life. I'm Jeff Cinebaldo. I'm Mia Cinebaldo. I'm Joe. And I'm Tammy. <laughs> and I'm the only follically challenged one among them. They might not have hair, but they really do care about faith and life. Two Bald Pastors. Welcome to Two Bald Pastors, a podcast about real faith and real life. I'm Jeff Cinebaldo. And I'm Joe McGarry. We are two follically challenged pastors serving in congregations of the New England Synod in the Evangelical Lutheran Church in America, or as we like to call it, the ELCA. Joe, the episode of all episodes has arrived. I know. I can't believe it. When we started this in November of 2015, Little did I know that we would be sitting here at number 50. 50. Woohoo! I remember when we started, you said, um, you know, if we have two episodes, that already puts you above, what is it, like 90% of the <laughs> podcast that get out there? Yeah. And then yep. if you make it past seven episodes, you're really in, uh, in good shape. And here we are, we're at number 50. And uh, I just want to say thank you to you, first of all, and thank you to uh, all of the guests that we've had on, and uh, thank you to all of the people who uh, follow and listen to this podcast. Thanks for your encouragement, support, uh, just being part of the whole process. So thanks. No, and thank you. I know that I am the type of person who does so much better in things when I'm working with someone, working with a team, and I could not imagine a better co-conspirator and partner in this podcasting endeavor than you. So thank you so much for your willingness and your openness. And you are all the contributions that you bring to this uh, podcast. Yeah, it's, it's really been an adventure. And I have learned and grown so much from being a part of this and know that we have many, many more episodes left in us. Because as we move along together as the church, there's, there's so many conversations to have and, and to figure out together how we can be the church with one another in a, a more positive and encouraging and inspiring way. So Yeah, I'd like to echo that, too. I think it's been a fun process in just, one, learning how to do it. So especially if you listen to some of our first episodes, we, we had much more scripted. And uh, as we've gotten along over each time, uh, especially interacting with a guest, it's become more conversational, and a lot of that is confidence, but it, uh, it's also been the experience of knowing what to do and how to do it. So that's, that's also been just kind of fun. And I will say that I have enjoyed having the people that we've had on, because I learn a lot from them. Oh, yeah. Uh, you know, we think, you know, you and I sit down and talk about, oh, who would be great to have on, and do you think they would talk to us? And, uh, you know, we've had a few no's, but mostly it's been, yeah, that'd be great. And uh, people have been just so open and encouraging and uh, willing to, to just have conversations with us about the work they do or an expertise they have and want to put it out there for other people to connect with. And, uh, you know, often while we're talking with those folks, I'm taking notes. Right, right. Uh, and not because I want to know what I'm going to say next because I want to remember and apply what I'm learning from them <laughs> as we're having a conversation. And it's just, it's been wonderful. So uh, for that, I'm also thankful on this uh, 50th episode and look forward to the next 50 and hopefully many more 50s after that. 
So before we get to the real heart of this uh, podcast, if we could each maybe just share a memory uh, from our podcasting endeavors and something that really kind of stood out to us in, uh, you know, the almost a year and a half that we have been doing this. So anything that, for you that has really stood out? I will say the the first time that we had Lenny and Francisco on was a I think for us kind of a pivotal episode because we 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 did have some things we wanted to ask them about but I remember just listening trying to take to heart what they were saying and thinking about this this is bigger than just me asking questions or us learning something uh that this could be something that opens this this whole idea of uh our kind of systemic racism not only in society but in the institutions which we love and serve and how we could help foster that conversation in a wider way uh that to me was a pretty big moment i just i i cherish it i'm, I'm very grateful for it and for their leadership as well yes i i agree that was an amazing episode and i hear their voices and what they were telling us and their passion for uh, the decolonized Lutheranism movement and to see where they are at now and to think that we had even a, a small piece in, in helping that is makes me really proud uh, uh, in having this podcast and what we are able to do. And it, it shows the power of podcasting in the life of the church and movements in the church and how we can really come together and, and help and be with one another. And I think actually that episode is our largest downloaded episode of, of everything that we have done. So, And I will also say the first one was great because you and I had been talking about doing a podcast. We had thrown out a few different ideas of how to do it or what we would do, engage each other a little bit. Um, we were at our fall bishops convocation in the New England Synod. Bishop Elizabeth Eaton, the presiding bishop at the ELCA, happened to be the speaker. I think I think you just said, do you think do you think she'd talk to us? Yeah. <laughs> and we just kind of mentioned it to her, uh, kinda like on a break, and she said, oh, that'd be great. I'd love to do that. And uh, well, she was wonderful. It was that was great. Well, yeah, and she said yes, and I was like, oh, great. You know, we're so excited to have you on. And then you and I went out and sat down and said, now what do we do? What are we going to talk about? <laughs> How are we going to do this? And, and uh, yeah, no, but she was great. And I, I can't wait to have her on again. Hopefully uh, before our 100th episode, we'll have her on again. And one of my favorite uh, episodes was with Lost and Found. And I will remember that, you know, we were able to be in the same room. It was only the second time we were in the same room with someone recording. And it goes one of those experience things. I set up all the audio stuff to record and I had everything going so confident, ready and I go to listen to it, and the audio is totally unusable, and I just broke down, and I was so upset, and I knew that they, you know, George and Michael are great guys, and we could have gone on Skype and re-recorded the whole thing, but I knew it would have lost some of that magic, but right. thankfully, some of the people with them also recorded the episode, and the audio quality wasn't the great, but it was a whole lot better than what I had. And we were able to put out the episode and share that with people. So that was definitely a learning experience and a memorable moment for me. So what we want to do for the rest of this episode is just share some of our favorite moments with you. Some of the lost and found, uh, some with Lenny and 
Francisco, some with uh, Bishop Eaton, and some of the other guests that we have had. So we hope you enjoy this episode and uh, continue to listen and see what we have coming up because uh, we do have some very exciting guests and interviews and conversations to share with you in the near future. I hate to admit it, but true. <laughs> well, I have one last question that I've been uh, burning that it's been burning me. I really want to ask you. Uh, I'm going away in February. We wondered if you ever did supply work. No, we're just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> I would love that. <laughs> I think I'm, I'm booked, but I, I love that. Sure. That's cool. We would we, love to have We would you. love to have you <laughs> supply in our churches at, at some point, you know. Uh, yeah, just right on the ocean too, and then right. place yeah, is empty right, and right in Old Saybrook, Connecticut. Yeah. <laughs> so, how has your perspective changed in the different roles that you've had as a leader and a follower of Jesus? About the church, about Jesus, about anything. Anything, anything. yeah. Wow. Yeah. Well, when I was a, um, a parishioner, um, I, I knew about my local church, and that was wonderful. I had deep respect for my pastor, who was one of these pastors who could leave lots of space for people to ask questions if they needed to do that. So it was pretty huge as for, you know, for a high school student to do that. But I actually asked him, well, what do you do the rest of the week, thinking that pastors only worked on Sundays? Of course. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> One day a week, it's a good gig. <laughs> like occasional wedding or funeral. Right. So, um, but then that was, there was a very uh, close connection between our pastor and, and his people and us. And that was, that was great. Then I went, um, I became ordained and realize that, they, that we do work more than, than Sundays. Right. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. just in case to be clear out there, way more than on Sundays. And it's a joy, um, but we're busy folks and working hard um, to see that and then to see the church at work in, in communities, um, in the community I served and in um, uh, work with um, other ecumenical partners or just other in the ministerium or even mm -hmm. interreligious things. So that was, and to get a better scope of what happens in congregational life. Then as a bishop, um, synod bishop, it just, we get to see, I get to see um, even how more, um, uh, how further flung we are as the ELCA, as Lutherans. It's not just the individual, it's not just the individual congregation, there, there's more that we can do together. And then as presiding bishop to see, now it's not only the United States and the Caribbean, yeah. but it's the, all, the whole world, right. and we, yeah. we show up um, with our brothers and sisters all over the world. Yeah. And yeah. it gets a lot more complicated. It's, um, um, it's, I'm so, I, I love parish ministry. I was a parish pastor for 25 years, and I love that. But sometimes I get frustrated when we start to say that uh, some people think that the, you know, the church-wide expression is the only one. We only, we're the only ones who know what's going on, or synods, or, or congregations, and it's, it's not. We can learn from each other. You've been doing this for a long time, and uh, what are some of the things that have really stood out to you over the years? First, I mean, like, you know, the funny thing is, like, normally when someone asks that question, we say, like, oh, that time we played in Gardner, right? Yeah, oh, right. right. But, you know, to be honest, to be honest. It's the time we played in Gardner. <laughs> <laughs> close. Very close. Um, but Hammonesset. Like, Hammon that youth oh, gathering yeah. in Hammonesset, yeah. um, which is right in this region, for those who don't know. Um, that's one of the better things we've ever been to, where it's just, like, people doing their thing and getting together. So, like, you know, like, you're having a great time during the day, and part of that great time is getting together and having, like, a worship service and a concert and, like, you know, what, like, it, it just really is a great event, and we've always loved playing that. We've played that on three or four times now. It's always yeah. great. Um, so that's one. The other that we've already talked about, like, Germany. I mean, it's just, it's wonderful to play in Germany for a lot of reasons. One of which is, um, as Michael always says, like, when we go to Germany, we look around at, you know, how things are, and we go, like, 
that's where my grandmother got that, you know, mm, like, right. Oh, yeah, yeah. The geraniums, right? Like, I mean, all these things, sweeping the sidewalk, like, you know, like, that's, or with a, that's what you do. scrubbing yeah. the sidewalk, right? <laughs> um, so, like, you know, there's that aspect of it. And then just, like, it's a whole different culture, you know, like, and so much of our own German heritage is obvious when we go there. And we realize, like, it has shaped us without our having been there in a way, you know, and then mm -hmm. to go there, you can kind of, like, see the evidence of it. Mm -hmm. And church in Germany feels a little more like church felt maybe when we were kids and certainly when our parents were kids and one thing I think would be great when people come to the Luther 500 festival is to get a little sense of that what church could be like in this way um, when the congregations in Germany have an event mm -hmm. everyone comes to it they just come to it so you might be a toddler you might be a senior in high school or a senior citizen everybody comes so we play a concert, and it's a wide variety of an intergenerational crowd. Yeah, that's great. Here in the United States, people send, tend it's to target. kind of yeah, target and mm -hmm. segment, and they say, you know, this is for the 14-year-old boys. Now, it's not for the 16-year-olds, and it's not for the girls, yeah. that kind of thing. Or this mm -hmm. is for the you know parents in this situation or whatever. Um, and that doesn't feel... Like, that targeted stuff doesn't feel like church. You know, it feels a little like social services or something, but it doesn't really feel like church. Um, so it's great to have that intergenerational experience. Yeah, and the, the downside of that good thing is um, we, we, there's one church we were at where they like it's this tiny little building, and they said like you know they're they're so packed on Sunday they can hardly fit everybody in there. And like you know what are they going to do like because there more people want to come, and we were like you know why don't you add a second service? And they said well everybody would just come to that too. Like you know like, <laughs> <laughs> they open the doors of the church and all the people everybody come, come. Right. yeah no right. matter what they're doing right right, right. and the right. Germans get the slinky song do they. Understand yes. the concept? Okay, good. Well, Slinky is a German word. Yeah. So. <laughs> it was originally spelled S-C-H. Oh, yeah. Slinky. Yeah. 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 But then they dropped the C at some... Or, yeah, the C. <laughs> the C-H, right. Yeah. If I were to share one of the really great stories from the last couple of years, it um, man, there's just so many stories. Because we, we joke with our audiences that we basically just write songs about the people that we meet. And so if we hang out in their town long enough, we're going to end up writing a song about them. That's <laughs> so um, so we were we got asked by uh, our friends, uh, George and Michael, they're in this duo called Lost and Found, and, and they asked to us to come and play in Germany with them. And so we got to go and play in Germany in 2013, and we went there again in 2015, and we're going again to play for this festival that they're doing called the Luther 500. So we're playing there in 2017, too. Yeah. And the first day that we were in Germany at the Luther 500 in 2013, they said, we would like you to go and play some some of the small towns outside of Wittenberg. And we said, great, where are we going? They said, you're going to go play this town called Schmilkendorf. And we were like, oh, that's just that's just way too uh, fun a word to say. Does that even right. exist? Yeah, you right. guys just like... <laughs> you guys make it stuff up. Like, Come on. <laughs> so there was this, uh, this German uh, Lutheran pastor was there. And he said, oh, I can drive you there. He, I have a van. We said, great. We, we hopped in the van. We started going. Couldn't find Schmilkendorf. It wasn't his church. And then he, he like turned on his GPS. And it was like really funny because this, this lady started speaking in German with a British accent out of the GPS. And she couldn't find Schmilkendorf. And so finally we, we found this town that was this, this, this town of about 100 stone homes with this little hill in the center of town that had this stone church. And the 
the stones for those walls had been stacked in the 1100s. Wow. It was actually Schmilkendorf, wow. a small, it, yeah, small yeah, town. Small, it did it, exist. It, it did exist, right? <laughs> so, so we we walk into the back of the church, to the only door in the back of this little this little church that's been there for 900 plus years, and every seat was filled. We had a sellout crowd in Schmilkendorf. Oh, 45. 40, yeah, 40, 45. <laughs> sellout crowd. Yeah, 20% of the of the population of of Schmilkendorf, you know, showed up. And so, and it was really like when we walked in, it was, it was really funny because like the altar area was bare and every seat was filled, but they were all just sitting in the sanctuary silent. Like they were like praying or something, but they weren't talking to one another. They were just sitting there looking forward. And so we walked into the back and we were like, oh no, (laughs) they're really, you know, because they looked like typical German people, which um, I'm half German. So I can say like, you know. Typical, uh, there's a, a typical German look to my memory that um, from northern Wisconsin that is, you're constantly angry. Um, <laughs> it's not true. I mean, you're not, you don't like, you know, like the emotions of joy don't like seep their way outside into your lips. <laughs> not your face. It's right? the in- internal joy that you experience. It's, yeah, right? yeah, yeah, yeah. There so it we, is. Internal joy. Yeah, right. So, we, so we walk up and we're like thinking to ourselves, well, what's a word that we can share with these r- folks in this rural community? And we don't share a language. We don't, you know, we probably don't share much at all. And, and so what Amy and I did, the first song we did was we did a, a Kyrie. It was a Kyrie that we had written for our home congregation back in Minneapolis. And we started singing this Kyrie. And of course, it just, the words Kyrie eleison, Christe eleison, that they knew those words. And so they were able to start to interact with us and start to sing. And, it sounded so good in that room. It just sounded amazing, these 45 voices that knew the space, and the space knew them. In fact, the space probably knew their parents and grandparents and great-grandparents and great-great-grandparents. And so as they sang this new melody, this ancient prayer, it just felt like the whole room was singing, the, the walls themselves. And so stones yeah yeah I mean, right the stones were crying out it was it was just it was just amazing and so we we say now whenever we go to a congregation and we lead worship music on sunday morning and they sing out really well we say like wow you really schmilkendorfed that you know? <laughs> nice <laughs> oh it sounded so good you, you was like you were from schmilkendorf you know so it's just a, that was just such a great experience and Carl Barth, the Reformed theologian, said the preacher should enter the pulpit with the Bible in one hand and the newspaper in the other. In other words, text, context, text, context. What if we were able to invite our people to enter every night with the Bible in one hand and your friend's life in the other, your child's life in the other, your, your significant other's life? Their highs and lows, that's really where they live. If, if you don't know their highs, you don't know them. If you don't know their lows... You don't know them, and if they don't know their own highs and lows, they don't know themselves either. So this is really both about other awareness and self-awareness and God-awareness and putting those two things together. One of my favorite books on creativity is Stephen Johnson's Where Good Ideas Come From. He talks about the adjacent possible. The adjacent possible is a marvelous phrase. All innovation comes from putting things that normally don't go together in the same proximity, I would say in the same sacred space in our context, the same set-aside, you know, 
holy liminal sacred space, the adjacent possible of my highs and lows meet your highs and lows, and something new can happen. Yeah, cool. Uh, your highs and lows meet the, the scripture text, text context, and something brand new that would never have happened can happen now just because they're in the same sacred space. Because I love Jesus! <laughs> Amen. <laughs> I love him! I love him! I got a Nick Fizz fish tattooed on my left pet sisters, brothers, and everyone in between. I love Jesus. I love him. Why do so many people in this country, in this church, why are they so ashamed of their faith in Jesus? I think somewhere Mark said something about that. Those who are ashamed of me before my father, I will then be ashamed of them before God? I just don't get it. You want to talk about something that can decolonize this church? Start evangelizing, because you know what? Our brothers and sisters in Asia sure, certainly love Jesus, and they go everywhere. Last time I checked, I think that Korea actually, per capita, sends the largest number of missionaries out in the world. Korea. Not to mention our brothers and sisters in West Africa, in North Africa, in China. You know, and this country needs Jesus. It does. But we need to show a Jesus that resonates with the reality of our past as a church. That we understand that we have things to repent of, both as an institution and as a, and as a faith and as a people. We got to get on our knees and pray and crawl and throw some ashes on. Like, because, we, you know, as a church, we've kind of screwed up. But God is going to be with there to help pick us up and show us the way to go. And if the church that so many people in this country don't like and that we are actively trying to atone for, but at the same time to go forward and to bring people into the church, they're going to want to see this kind of humbled Christianity. They're going to want to see Christians that say, yeah, the church is really screwed up. Yeah, we did this. Yeah, we were tools for racism and violence. Yeah. We've been, you know, so often the eager lubricant of capitalism and the exploitation of black and brown people all over the world. Yes, we have done this as a church, but we were repenting of this. And it, this kind of, 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 a, of a broken and still trying and still loving God and still loving Jesus, this is the kind of thing that people will resonate with. Right. And we need to continue to encourage one another in advocacy for each other. And that is something that can be hard because, like Jeff said, you know, we can sit back and say, well, what are we going to do? What am I going to do? But uh, we need to look for opportunities to engage in conversation, to support each other, to mess up, like you said, to mess up and then to forgive each other and continue to walk with one another. Um, because I think you are right. It is time because people are dying. People are feeling excluded. And there's a there's a voice out there that is representing the church, not necessarily our church, but they're representing Christianity saying, no, you are not welcome here. But that's not what God is saying. God is saying, yes, you are welcome here. You are loved. And we need to bring that voice to the table and have people experience that and hear that voice. Theologically, I mean, if we really profess that... God has created this world and loves it and will go to whatever means necessary, including death on a cross, to redeem it. What are we afraid of? We're afraid of little minor things. 
but we get so caught up in them because we can't quite fathom what grace and mercy really is. And man, we just, <laughs> if we'd listen to our own message, maybe it could sink in a little bit. But And, and that the gospel has consequences. Right. And that absolutely. Take, absolutely. When we take this call, we uphold that we're going to be public ministers of the gospel of Jesus Christ. So that means that we're going to publicly stand with the oppressed, with those who suffer, and with the message that God is doing something new. The kingdom of God has come near to us. And that would may have a consequence. Yep. And part of our fear that the more I talk to people, a big part of our fear uh, is not only I don't know what to do, it's also I'm afraid of losing money. Yep. Yeah, right. you know, I'm Absolutely. afraid of losing yep. my job. You know, it's like, this is the only thing I do. This is the thing I do the best. You know, this is the thing that brings joy to my life. So if, I, if suddenly I lose my job for this, that means I cannot pay my debt. I can't pay my apartment. I can't pay my car. It's, there is a financial issue here. Yeah. And a financial consequence here. But at times, we need to trust that God will provide for us. And that is hard because... Well, I'm a Lutheran, so I know that my natural inclination is that I don't want to trust God. <laughs> I right. really don't. I really don't. No matter how many times God proves God's faithfulness, I just don't want to trust it. That's right. I want to trust myself. I know better, right? Right. That's what we tell ourselves anyway. Yeah. I mean, Luther's great question, what's your really, what's your God? You know, that what you trust most and, and do we trust God? We need God's word to to smash in on our lives all the time and bring us to a new place. Absolutely. You know, if someone was starting off in ministry, maybe they are a young person who's like in the confirmation class, or maybe there's someone that didn't participate in church and, and now is coming part of the faith community, or maybe it is a, a new seminarian or somebody along mm -hmm. those lines. What, what advice would you give them or insights you might want to help them with as they kind of start to engage in ministry a little deeper? Sometimes I answer a similar question by saying that, that there are three things that I look for in someone who's called to ministry and evaluating whether or not someone is, is going to be an effective leader in the church. And that is that they need to, and again, it goes back to love. Uh, they need to love God in a way that is clear and compelling and contagious um, and be able to tell stories about that, about yep. where they see the Holy Spirit working in their lives. They need to love God. They need to love the people in front of them. person right here in front of me whom I might disagree with, whom I might not understand, um, but I need to love them in a way that they know that they are loved. Um, because if you don't begin with love, you're going to end in failure. Yep. Um, mm -hmm. And third, you need to love the people who aren't here yet. Mm -hmm. um, those, and, and imagine the possibilities of saying, yes, but... There is always room for one more at the table, and we need to structure our ministry so that there's always that empty seat at the table, and who's going to sit in that empty seat? Rather than looking at the church pew and thinking, oh, that's where the Johnsons used to sit, oh, but they're, they're dead, or they moved to California, oh, that's where so-and-so used to sit. Think about who in your life you'd like to have sitting in that pew, and, and loving them, even though, again, you might not understand them. Um, you might not be comfortable sitting next to them, because they might come from a different place than you do theologically or liturgically or uh, politically. But loving God, loving the person in front of you, and loving the person who's not here yet, I think are the three most important things in effective uh, Christian leadership. Uh, I just get excited that kids start recognizing that uh, uh, their kids are valuable and they have purpose and meaning. 
kind of my big clip phrase. I don't know if I've said it first, but I think I said it the most is uh, youth are either leading or they're leaving. Right. Right. Uh, right. They're, 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 they're either, the church has either said to them, we need you <laughs> and we need you for some really important stuff. Or, or they've said, uh, you know, or, or kids have moved on to other groups that need them. And those aren't bad groups necessarily. Right. Uh, but they go where people say, we really need you and uh, you're important to the church. So peer ministry is certainly one of the ways to get after that. I challenge churches to say every kid, whether they're, whether they're active or not, needs to hear from their church at least twice a year those words, we need you. For some kids, that's, we, you know, we need you to, I don't know, teach Sunday school or, or you know, be something year-round. For other kids, it's just going to be like a one-time deal, you know. We need you to come this particular night and help out with, with this, but, but uh, we think you'd be a great asset for us. But I think that message of we need you is really, really important for the survival of uh, youth ministry <laughs> of the church. I'd say that it really sh- kind of hits you early on in your experience as a volunteer that your your purpose is actually uh, to be, not to do. Mm-hmm. And it's really weird for us coming out of colleges that, you know, and, and even in, in our culture here in the U.S. of like, you know, build that resume and, and right. get all that stuff done and join all these clubs and sport teams. And then you're plopped down in like rural South Africa or Madagascar or Cambodia. And they're like, OK, now you just have to be in community for a year. Wow. <laughs> it's, you know, like my only job was to just hang out with kids uh, on an orphanage, I mean, primarily. And, and so when they'd go to school, it was, it was also on a farm, which was really cool. And so when they'd go to school, I'd be doing farm stuff, which I got to tell you was pretty hilarious because I'm from New Jersey and I don't know anything. (laughs) (laughs) We're the garden state. We're not the farm state. (laughs) Right, Uh, right, right. And so, you know, I was humbled quickly in that experience. That was kind of the first uh, sense of humor thing from God that I experienced. But um, it's all about being in community and kind of stepping back and, and learning about this model of accompaniment, which the ELCA, that's how we do our global mission work is through accompaniment. We accompany our companions. We don't go to say, do this do that, we accompany them. And for me, if I could just tell a quick story of a way that uh, I, I realized that was uh, there was one day that our job on the farm was was going to plant, we had to plant a, a field of corn, okay? Now, me and two of the gentlemen who came from the nearby village to help had to plant this whole field of corn ourselves, and we had to do it by hand. I mean, literally a kernel at a time. Wow. Uh, and it was hot. I, I just remember it being, I don't know if it was summer or not. I mean, it was always hot in Bloemfontein, and it, it was very hot that day. And we're out there all day long. I mean, sweating and, and kind of uh, commiserating with each other and, and accompanying each other in our sorrows of having to, like, plant this field of corn kernel by kernel. Um, but, you know, the day ended, and I'm standing there like, Yes, you know, I feel so accomplished. Like none of my friends have ever done this. This is so cool. And I, you know, I was like patting myself on the back and and I just I felt so good about myself, right? Because I planted a whole field of corn by hand. And so yeah. went to bed, slept well that night, but then I get a knock on the door in the morning. And it's one of the gentlemen who was planting with us, and he said, Andrew, I got bad news. We gotta plant the field all over again. He's like, yeah, the guinea fowl came and ate all the corn as soon as we left the field. Oh, my gosh. And I was like, what? And so we did it all over again. And and at the time, it was, like, super frustrating for me. And honestly, I haven't even – 
it didn't hit me until a couple years later when I thought about it and said, well, you know what, though, that that experience gave me two days of incredible conversation and camaraderie with two men who normally in my normal day life I would never spend time with, you know. And so I learned right. yeah. so much about them and their families and, and about myself. And so that is what the experience is about. It's to just be in community with people who normally you may never interact with and just learn from each other. Thank you for listening to another episode of The Two Bald Pastors, our 50th episode. If you'd like to connect with us, please do so by going to our website, twobaldpastors.com, or our Facebook, facebook.com backslash twobaldpastors. Have a great day and a blessed week. They might not have hair, but they really do care about faith and life. Two Bald Pastors.